Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And welcome to Secure the Insecure. This is the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seifert, and every week I'm joined by one very special guest. My guest this week, you'll know from last year, season seven of Love Island. It was one week before the final, won by Millie and Liam, when along with Priya, he was part of the three final bombshells to enter the villa. Known for his relationship for 10 days of Casa Moore's Mary Bedford, they left the villa after being voted the least compatible couple, even after winning the baby doll challenge. And as we come to the end of Love Island 2022, I thought it'd be a good idea to learn more about what it's like to be in the villa in the final weeks, and especially when you enter it so late. Away from Love Island and prior to this, since the age of 17, he's been a professional footballer where he played for Kilmarnock, Dover Athletic and Sutton United until recently where he damaged his ACL. Now, with thanks to health and well-being brand for Five Foot Range in this interview, I'm delighted to welcome to Sikidian Aaron Simpson. Hello, Aaron. Hello. Welcome to Sikidian Feels good to be here. I'm sure it does feel good yeah. to be here. You've had an injury. You've yeah. come out the other side now. You're now back into it. You're back into full on work mode. But before we get there, let's go all the way out to the beginning. Okay, yeah. talk to me about Aaron as a child first of all. Ooh, Aaron as a child. Um, well, I've always been quite a cheeky chappy, and um, ever since I was young, well, a baby really, everyone um, always thought I was the cute baby and stuff like that. And even in my family, I was um, probably like the first of my generation of of kids. And yeah, I was definitely a family favorite with all the older aunties and uncles and and stuff like that. So yeah, and then obviously growing up. I would say I was always like a popular kid in school, had a lot of friends and stuff, went through obviously difficult times like every kid does. But I mean, all in all, I feel like I'm just a, a very, very happy kind of spur of the moment person. I've always, always been like that. I am very impulsive and, and do things straight away without, without kind of thinking. Uh, sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. But, but yeah, kind of what you see is what you get with me, I think. I love it. I love it. And as you said, you were popular in school. We know that if you play football and you're on the football team <laughs> at school, you are popular and all the girls love you. Yeah. Now, I've never been in that position. And so I look at popular people who are in school and I go, I wish I was them. What's it like to be that person? What's it like to have all the girls after you, to be the king of the football club and to actually acknowledge 
and validate yourself as popular in school? Yeah, I think so. I went through three different stages. So I started off when I was younger and I was kind of really fit, really active, doing every single sport that you can do. One of those ones where my mum has to literally take me to here, there and everywhere during the week because I was doing so many different clubs and stuff. And then I actually had some really bad like growing pains in my knee and my in my heel. So I couldn't do sport for probably around two years. And uh, I put on a bit of weight like I was a tubby kid, probably going into year seven and eight. It was kind of like I had this popularity and this badge as the the sporty kid. And then that was kind of taken away from me. And I think at that point, I probably felt like a little bit lost and it was very, very different for me. And it it was a time where I lacked a little bit of confidence and, and stuff like that. But then coming out of that, probably year nine, ten, I lost loads of weight and I was back to being the the fit, healthy, popular kid who, again, was doing all of the sports and was successful in in my football at the time as well so people like that yeah obviously was favorite with the girls as well in school which was always nice but yeah I think my school and, and younger experience was very unique in the terms of I had the popular side of it and then I had the the other side of it where yeah I was in the popular groups and stuff but I wasn't like the the main character if that makes sense I was I was kind of like a, a backup dancer but all in all yeah it was it was good how did you know that? Because it's all about your personality. Okay, looks are one thing. But at the end of the day, the looks can't carry you. You know, the looks will fade. I know, obviously, if we're talking about year seven, your looks are growing. But yeah. at the end of the day, your looks are what we first take, first impressions. But then yeah. it's about the inside. And so all these girls and all these people in year seven had to get to know the real Aaron. And they liked you. And therefore, you became popular. So why did it go the other way that you went, ah, he's not good looking. Therefore, his personality is also ugly. I think for me, it was more of a confidence thing. And because of that, I went, I've always been a very outgoing, bubbly person, the life and soul of the party. And when I walk in a room, you know, I'm in the room. But I think where my confidence was knocked and I knew I was kind of putting on weight and and I was changing. I think that, yeah, it kind of made me go inside myself a little bit, a little bit more. And I found myself almost trying to to overdo it, you know, and I wasn't really being myself. Whereas when I again came out of that and ended up losing weight and was back to myself I feel like people take me for what what I was and yeah I didn't feel like I had to compensate for for something else so I've always been been confident like I said but when that confidence is kind of stripped from you you kind of look at yourself and you're like right well I'm not this outgoing confident person person anymore and it's yeah it's it's hard to deal with I think it's so interesting because you had such confidence at such an early age. You're assigned at 17 to be playing football where you're around adults. Yeah. Like you said, your aunties and uncles you're a favourite of when, again, you were really young and you had to grow up. You then get to Love Island. And I know I'm jumping ahead a bit, but you then do Love Island. Where you have to have the confidence to get on that show. You have to have a confidence that you can go into the villa. You have to have the confidence afterwards that it's you're accepted, you're validated, you can become a social media star, you can be a presenter, whatever you want to do. You can come out the villa and you're accepted by society. That also takes confidence. Confidence seems to be a big thing with you. Yeah. What does confidence mean to you, though? How do you define it for yourself? I think confidence is just being comfortable within yourself and knowing that no matter what you do, you are being 100% you. And I feel like for me, when I'm in situations where I know I can be 100% me, that's when I'm most confident. I think growing up, 
this is kind of go rewinding the years, but I grew up in a in a very white area, like a really white area. I was probably only one of maybe two or three kids in my school of like mixed ethnicity. So growing up, I always had this thing of I always noticed when I was the only mixed race or black person in a room. So I think that took that took a massive effect for me and I didn't ever feel comfortable and even now it's not something that I maybe struggle with but something that I still even to this day notice is when I'm in a formal environment and there is clearly a lack of um like mixed diversity I don't feel confident to be 100% myself because I feel like people may not understand it and I, and it may be silly from from my from my part but yeah, I just don't feel as comfortable as as maybe I should do. So when I'm in a more relaxed environment and and this is why, I, again, I love London because it's so, so diverse and there's so many different types of people. Um, I feel like I can really just be myself without being judged or looked at weirdly and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I say for confidence for me is just being really comfortable and not having to think about what I'm doing all the time or what I'm saying. I can just kind of be free. And that is when I full confidence comes out. Because when you're with people who your own diversity, you've got the shared culture, the shared values, the shared opinions, the shared language, all those little linguistic skills that you've picked up together, those codes, those codes that only you and your community know, or you and your friends know. So when you're with people who are majority white, you're right, you're going to have to be, I suppose, in quotations, more white to fit in. So. Yeah. Did you subconsciously and consciously notice that change inside of you that you weren't being the authentic version of you when you are around just white people and the only black person? Or do you go the other way of tokenism almost going, well, I'm the only black person amongst everyone, so I'm going to alpha my black ethnic character traits because I need to also stand out to show that I'm there. Otherwise, I'm going to get lost in this sea of white people. Yeah, I think in school, I started off very, very out there like I had my hair braided and back in when I was in primary school you weren't allowed to have hair dye or anything like that and I remember teachers I used to have wavy patterns in my hair and stuff and because obviously I was literally the only kid with afro hair they didn't really know what was accept what was acceptable and what wasn't because people just knew that you weren't allowed to have really long hair you weren't allowed to have uh, Mohicans and hair dye and stuff but I was coming in with all kinds of crazy hairstyles so I think in that sense yeah, I, I wanted to be unique and show show my culture. But then as I started to then learn about racism and experience it a little bit more, I think I tr probably tried to just blend in because I couldn't really be asked to be almost, like I say, looked at and judged and give people an excuse to, to say something, which is which is quite sad, really, when, when I think about it. But my primary school especially was was very very white so and it was one of them ones where I felt like when I did experience racism and, and stuff like that I didn't really feel like anyone understood or really listened because we didn't have any black teachers in my school and that went from year three to six so there was at least 90 kids in in a year and I like I say that the whole way through my school I was think was probably one of three maybe the most we'd have had at the time was five kids in the school that were black or, or mixed race and i don't think in my year we had any black kids actually and the curriculum i presume was very white as well yeah and i think that's even still a problem 
today. I think we're we're getting better as a whole. But but yeah, no, obviously when you do history lessons and stuff like that, the most you probably get is when you do RE and you and you study different religions. But as in as in actual kind of races and and places as such, um, yeah, it was very very one way. I went to an all Jewish school, an all Jewish primary school, an all Jewish secondary school a university that was predominantly Jewish or had a big Jewish community. And so I had a community there. Why did your parents not send you to an all-black school? Or does that not exist? Uh, I don't know if it exists. Well, it definitely doesn't exist where where I'm from. But I actually have had had this conversation with my mum when I was younger, and I think it was quite hard for her to, to hear. But I was probably, I can't remember how old I was, maybe year five to seven. And... I still had a lot of family in London. I was born in in East London and we moved to Kent when I was three or four. But obviously I still had a lot of family in London, was going back and forth. And I'd go to London and I'd see loads of black people. I'd see loads of mixed race people. I'd eat loads of Caribbean food and, and stuff like that and see loads of Caribbean shops. And I think one day maybe something happened at school or something got said. And I said like, why why did you move here like you knew we would be like the only mixed family in the area like why did you do it and and I and I think I probably didn't say it as nicely as that at the time because I was probably quite upset but kind of as I've got older I realized that she'd done it more for me because the area I was living in wasn't a great area there was a lot of crime and stuff and my mum just didn't feel safe for me me go growing up and going to school there and in hindsight if I would have grown up there and and stuff I would have been exposed to a lot more kind of gang stuff and and crime and whatever so I just think for me it was hard being the only one and I felt like if I was living in London still I would have grown up around more people like me because there wasn't anyone really like me me at my um at my school so when I moved to Wolves uh, when I was 17 I was kind of like a kid in a candy shop like I took so many little things for granted so I love Caribbean food and around my area you, you you well especially growing up I think there might be one place now but you literally could not get Caribbean food for for love nor money you'd have to probably go into London to get it but whereas Wolves on if I looked on Just Eat or Deliveroo I could get five six seven different Caribbean restaurants that were delivered to my door and it was little things like that that when I moved to an area, obviously Wolverhampton's very, very multicultural. I felt just more comfortable and I feel like I enjoyed it more. And that's probably carried on to now where when I settle down and, and I get a house and I think about having a family, for me, I would probably try and do it in a more more multicultural area because I want my kids to be to be exposed to to that when when they grow up. But obviously I know my mum done it for the for the right reasons and Listen, I had all in all, I had a very, very happy childhood. But, um, but yeah, that was something that I think for a little bit I I held against her, which was probably quite hard for for her to hear. It's very interesting that you had at the beginning of the conversation you had this confidence. We spoke about popularity. You had a sense of belonging. You knew what your position was in the school system. Yeah, and we're taking it from when you were thin, when you were good looking, and all the girls loved you. Blah 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 blah. blah. But at the same time, your sense of belonging didn't exist. Because your sense of belonging was to be in a multi-ethnic community. And so it's like the grass is always green on the other side. But you had this sense of belonging. But also at the same time, you didn't have that sense of belonging. Yeah, I think I was always confident. And I made sure that I could fit in. But at the same time, I always knew. I was always just aware that I was the only person that looked like me. 
and had a dad that looked like me. And I don't think it massively affected me, but it was just always there. And I think as I got into secondary school and, and stuff and I start, started to experience more racism, I got to the point where when I was younger, it would really upset me, like really upset me. And then I got to a point in secondary school where I just thought, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't just let it upset me. So I then almost flipped to the point where I would try and resolve it myself. And obviously violence isn't the, isn't the answer to, to anything. But at the time, it's like, what else could I do? If I felt like because I was a popular kid and, and whatever, I feel like that was the only real thing that people could ever push my buttons about. And a couple of people tried to, and I took it upon myself to to deal with that. And I've never been like an aggressive person or like a, a fighter. I wasn't in a lot of fights when I was younger and stuff, but especially when I went to secondary school, I found myself getting in fights and, and stuff because I just thought that if I don't do anything, people will just keep doing it. And in my secondary school, which was a massive, I think it was, there was 2,500 pupils in there. Again, the percentage of like, mixed diversity or diversity of any kind was so small that you stood out so it gave people an easy excuse to pick on you or or single you out as such and yeah i i got i got in fights in, in secondary school because i just thought if i don't if i don't do something i the teachers weren't going to do anything because they can't really understand where i'm coming from so yeah i, I just took it took it upon myself it's almost a form of catharsis and that anger that you've built up from this. But the problem is that, you know, when we talk about mental health, we talk about therapy. You know, yeah. you've got anxiety, go to, go to therapy. You've got depression, go to therapy. You can't just say, oh, I've felt that there's racism around me. I'm going to go to therapy. I mean, you could, and you could talk it through. But it's not the norm. It's yeah. not the norm to have that feeling because that's not a feeling that's kind of accepted socially, yeah. is it? No, no, not at all. And I think growing up, I I experienced racism from a really, really young age, being surrounded by so many white people. But I almost felt like, because I still had a lot of family in London and my mum's sister actually used to live in, in East Ham. So uh, we used to go there every other weekend because I used to get my hair cut up there and stuff. And when I went up there, it was almost like a like an escape because it was like, oh, right, I don't have to worry about any racism. I don't have to worry about people looking at me being being the only black person in the school I don't have to worry about anything and and although when I was when I was younger that's how it seemed obviously it wasn't like that because there is there is racism everywhere but for me it was almost like a oh, I can breathe kind of moment and I can just be myself and and stuff and yeah for me that was uh, that was I think a big thing and I think that was probably why my mum and dad took me back to London so often because so I didn't lose sight of my culture and and where I where I came from because obviously I was born in London like it's just a very very strange feeling and you almost when someone makes a racist remark towards you I feel anyway there's not really much you can come back with and that's it's the sense of not helplessness as such but like what can you say like yes I am yes I am black like yes I am of a, of mixed ethnicity like what do you want me to do about it i can't if someone was to call me fat i can lose weight if someone was to make fun of my hair i can i can dye the color but i literally cannot change 
my, my skin color. So you almost just feel like there's nothing that you can that you can really do. And for me, taking myself away from that situation was massive for me. And I and I loved going to London. And even now, I, I said to you before before we started the podcast, I love I love coming to London. And I don't know whether that's kind of in my subconscious mind is that I ha- I it was almost like an escape when I was younger. That is the reason why now I I like it so much. It's all very valid points. All mm. very valid points. That sense of belonging you found because you were accepted because you played for three big football clubs. Mm. You know, at the age of seventeen, when people are finding out who they are, you already knew who you were. Yeah, you knew your identity. You knew your popularity. Yeah. You then go right. I'm going to play with these big boys now, and I'm going to go into get into football. Yeah. What was that like playing football in a team? That sense of belonging, different from school, because you're yeah. people who are older, who are a lot more mature. Mm-hmm. Who hopefully weren't racist because they knew <laughs> yeah. who to be and how to yeah. be, and they, you know, were very comfortable with themselves. You know, racism is a form of bullying. Yeah, because you're insecure about yourself, so you'll put that insecurity on someone else. Yeah. So how are you in that football club? I I loved it. I moved away from home when I was seventeen, and I ha- I got homesick quite a bit sometimes, um, just because I'm a massive <laughs> massive mummy's boy. But in terms of moving away and stuff like that, I I absolutely loved it. I loved being in in a football environment every day it was my dream as a kid and it was almost like a pinch me moment where i was like oh i'm here and i can and i can do it and i can just be myself and this is this is almost like a fresh start for me so yeah i loved it and so many people throughout my my career have taught me so much and i'm grateful for for everyone that's that's kind of been with me on my journey and i feel like i've learned something different from from each of them obviously football's a thing where it has highs and lows and and i've definitely definitely had my my highs and i've definitely definitely had my lows but all in all um i just think that you can't for me anyway you can't beat a a football changing room that environment being around being surrounded by people who are all on the same the same journey well they're on the same journey but different journeys at the same time um and they're all trying to obviously achieve achieve the same goal. And yeah, it's just where I feel at home. Being being on a football pitch, being in a football training ground. Yeah, that's just where I just feel whole, I think. And then you do something. You injure your ACL. Now, for those that don't know, here is the... Uh, I'm going to give you the scientific definition of the ACL. Okay. It's a tough band of tissue that joins the fibroid to the shin bone at the knee joint correct yeah it runs diagonally through the inside of the knee and gives the knee joint stability it also helps to control the back and forth movement of the lower leg common causes of acl injuries include landing incorrectly from a jump stopping suddenly changing direction suddenly or having a collision such as during a football tackle there's your science lesson done <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that one done for the day um, and it was i'm going to say again it's thanks to wellness brand 45 for setting up this interview but also for bringing this conversation together because yeah. we've not spoken about ACLs on security it's going in in the public conversation really so mm-hmm. for those listening that's a scientific definition but talk to me about your ACL journey what happened to you and what was the recovery like I was playing a game played the full match and was literally in the last minute of the game I had the ball was running someone has tried to tackle me slide tackle me and I've jumped over it the guy has not touched me at all because I'm running my momentum's obviously going forward I've jumped over and landed on my left leg. As I've landed, I've just heard like a in my knee and I knew it was bad because I'd never I've never ever have really had a bad injury. I've torn my hamstring and such and tweaked ligaments in my knee but never 
heard a pop and I just remember being in so much pain. Yeah, so much pain. And then I actually managed to drive home that day. So luckily it was my left leg and my car's got a max, so I was just using my my right leg. So I drove home and yeah, was could barely my mum <laughs> so I was living at home at the time and my mum had a wheelchair in the house. So I had to park my car out the back. My mum brought the wheelchair out. This is really late at night, like probably twelve o'clock. Wheelchaired me into the house. My dad had to help me help me get up the stairs. And I was in bed and I was just thinking, I hope this is not my ACL because arguably one of the worst injuries that you can really do in football. Obviously, obviously there's there's cases where you can do your ACL and other other things in your knee, but yeah, it's it's arguably the worst one. So I was just praying that it that it wasn't. Um so yeah, that was that. I woke up the next day and that was probably the worst that it was. I remember my dad coming into my room and just saying like, how are you? And I tried to get up and I was almost in tears, if not in tears, because the pain was just, yeah, the pain was horrific. And I went to the hospital, got crutches and then had to get a private scan, done that. And they basically confirmed it was my ACL. So I found out really within four days, I think it was four or five days that I'd done my ACL. So it was just whether or not I needed the surgery. So there's two types of ACL injuries that you can get. So you can either rupture it, which is where you tear it, but you don't fully tear it. And then you rupture it and it's just completely gone. So there's no, there's nothing in there. Um, nothing basically given your, your knee stability. And at first they said that it had completely gone. So I got my head around, I need the surgery. Now there was complications, obviously growing up in a football in a professional football environment, if that's the case, you just get the surgery pretty quick. You don't have to worry about anything. The club sorts it out and that's that. Because I was playing semi-professional at the time, obviously after coming out of the villa, I had to do it all, all myself. And there was complications and loads of different stuff that went on behind the scenes. But basically I spoke to the knee specialist and he said that he wanted me to have a second scan because something wasn't quite clear and he said there might be a slight chance that you can get away without without the surgery and basically found out last week that I can basically I don't need the surgery I can I can return to football and yeah kind of get back to it and obviously there's a there's lots of different things that have happened within that that six month period but I think the first two months were probably the hardest because I was in a big big knee brace it's just very very difficult and I basically was told by the by the specialist that I cannot remove this knee brace when the only time I can take it off is when I'm sleeping if apart from that it is on and it's just such a nightmare get like little things like getting in and out of a car hassle like doing your food shopping on crutches so I've obviously both my hands are on the crutches I can't really carry the basket like there's no no real way for me to carry the basket and it was almost just a sense of like I can't really do anything by myself and because I'm a very independent person like I said I moved away when I was 17 it was yeah it was it was really really difficult and and then kind of fast forward into now or, or the last month or so when I've been able to step up my rehab and start running and stuff it's that little thing in the back of your mind where you don't know if you're ever going to be the same as you were before which is obviously quite hard but I think it's more of a mental thing more than more than anything it's kind of psychological psychological I've done all the tests that I need to do and and stuff so so I am fit to go back but but yeah there's always that little thing in in the back of your mind you're not not 100% sure what you're going to be like so what would the strains I put on obviously you're on a new you've got a new girlfriend so it's a new yeah. relationship it's very fresh that burden to her 
Or, <laughs> well, I can't carry anything, so you need to help me. Yeah. Or do I really want to be part of this? A burden to yourself, that sense of belonging, that, you know, you're living, that responsibility you've got to yourself to play football. Yeah. The responsibility as a social media influencer that you're supposed to be doing these brand deals and you're supposed to be taking pictures <laughs> and being papped and going to events and the modeling and whatnot. And so everything you've built up for the past seven years is basically effectively taken away from you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Because of this injury. So yeah. what mentally did that do to you? It was tough. It was really, really tough. And shout out to my girlfriend because she was amazing through, through the whole thing. And I remember... I just moved, I'd not long moved out of, of my mum and dad's place and was living alone. So I remember we needed to go to Ikea and we needed to, to get some stuff for the house. And there was no automatic wheelchairs. And my girlfriend is four foot 11, she's tiny. Okay, and she had to push me around Ikea in this big like wheelchair thing with a massive basket on the front. And it was like, it was like turning a, a lorry around these aisles. And yeah, it was so funny. She could barely, she could barely push it. Bless her. She was really good with me. To be fair, we we saw a lot of e- lot of each other, and because I think the relationship was quite fresh, I think it almost made us closer because I was relying on her her a lot, and it was kind of well, this shouldn't really be the case, but I'm gonna see whether you're really here when I need you, and and she was, which was yeah, which was amazing, and even her family and stuff were really supportive of me and and I spent quite a bit of time up there when when I was going through my through my rehab and stuff so so yeah they were amazing mentally it's just I felt like I kind of lost a little bit of purpose like I wasn't couldn't really go to all the events and stuff that I was doing I couldn't shoot as many as much stuff because I'm meant to be keeping off of my knee as I can I can't be going into the city shooting pictures and stuff because I'm really not meant to be doing that and yeah, it's it it was hard, it was difficult, but I think lockdown actually helped me massively in terms of my mindset and I'd done a lot of personal development. The person I went into lockdown as 
I was definitely not when I came out. And I think if it wasn't for that, I'd have struggled a lot more. But I kind of managed to stay positive. And obviously I had my down days where I'm like, oh, I just want to be back playing football. I just want to be be back around the boys. I just want to go out on a run. I want to be able to go on fun dates like mini golf, ice skate and some like little things like that that you, that you take for granted. So, so yeah, definitely for me, it was a test mentally, but I feel like looking back on it, I, I definitely managed to, to stay positive and yeah, come out of it the other side. Amazing. Amazing, mate. Well, look, that's the football career. The second career is the Love Island experience that you went on. So let's go all things Love Island now. It was last year, 2021, when you went on to season seven of the show. And for those that don't really watch the show, which is really weird if you're listening to this <laughs> podcast in particular, and also you don't know me because basically Security and Security is sponsored by Love Island's <laughs> contestants. Every contestant from Love Island has basically done this podcast now. <laughs> um, you've got eight weeks of the show. Week one, everyone enters. You couple up. Week four or five, you get Casa Moore. The big change, you get people who are going to come in as new bombshells and little bombshells all throughout. And then week end, and then week eight, it ends. And so you came in on week seven when all the couples are very settled now. Yeah. And apart from the baby doll challenge, which actually you won, everyone's going to the finish line. And so you come in in week seven of the show. What difference did you think it was going to make? And actually, did you think, what is the point of coming in in week seven? Because the show is basically done. Yeah. Um. Listen, when you when you go on Love Island, anyone who's anyone and they want to go on there, they want to be in from the beginning. I don't care who you are. No one applies or gets scouted for the show thinking that they want to be a bombshell. I don't think anyway. And for me, I was there for a very long time before I actually went in. I, I was actually there a couple of days after the show aired. So I was there for five weeks before I went in and my Love Island experience was, I can guarantee you, not like anyone else's in terms of even before I've got in the villa. So I flew out on the 4th of July and I think the show aired a couple of days before that. I was meant to go in earlier. Stuff happened. I didn't. And yeah, I ended up going in going in later. But I was just happy to to be on there and be able to to experience it because there's there's so many people who would who would love to have that experience and an opportunity that um but yeah i was i was just happy to to go on there obviously i would have loved to have gone in earlier as i feel like i would have had longer and and stuff like that but kind of when when i left i knew that it was it was kind of inevitable that that me and mary were going to go but it, listen it is what it is you can't you can't change these things but i wish i would have would have been in earlier for sure when you are a bombshell the production team have all of you on standby in your own little villas that you're in holding or holding as you call it. When you go in, there's a purpose for it. You're part of the overall storyline. So like this year, for example, we saw Jackson Page kind of on the rocks. Adam Collard went in to save the day. <laughs> yeah. And since then, over the past two weeks, we've seen Adam and Page get closer and closer and closer. Yeah. Because the producers knew that Page would head return for Adam. Yeah. You said you would have gone in a lot earlier than things happened. Tell me if this is completely wrong to ask, but yeah. I'm gonna ask a question. Yeah. Do you reckon that they saw you and Chloe have a potential relationship? Because Toby was with Chloe. Yeah. Toby entered on day one. They yeah. were coupled up all the way through. They're still together now. Yeah. But do you think from the production point of view, looking back now, that was your role was to effectively replace Toby because Chloe would likes that type of guy. Who have we got in holding? A guy that kind of looks like Toby. <laughs> yeah. Probably. And me and Toby have actually 
actually spoken about this and like now it would be so so weird for me to see chloe in that kind of way at all but the thing was i wanted to get in as soon as possible right but there wasn't really anyone in there that i really fancied and i just loved chloe's personality so she would have been the girl that i would have went for not off of initial attraction or anything like that but just because like she's so funny and and she's a she's great to be around and obviously that i think that's kind of shown since the show because i'm still really close with her and toby but yeah i i would imagine so and i think if toby wasn't such a pinnacle part of that series and arguably the the main man in that in that series and obviously he went the long way around to to obviously um Catherine Moore and and afterwards making the final I think probably, yeah, I would have done. I think if they were on the rocks a lot more in terms of from maybe her point of view, things would have been a little bit different. But yeah, I'm I'm glad it's worked out that way because I love them two together and, and stuff like that. But maybe. And that's actually the first time that I've ever <laughs> I've ever even seen it like that really, or or thought about it. But um yeah, yeah, you're probably right. And and again, it probably would have been a blessing in the in disguise that I went in when I did because like I said, there wasn't really anyone in there that I was like, yep, that's the one I want. Well, so how does this happen? Because, for example, this year, yeah, right, in 2022, they changed it a little bit. And when the original 12 contestants went in, yeah. the public decided who should pair up with who. And yeah. so we decided, apparently, that Tasha and Andrew should be paired up. We decided that Luca and Gemma should be paired up. Yeah, Both those couples have lasted the test of time. But that's because the public said that. And obviously, it manifests. And obviously, it's TV. But it's that thing of, do you really have feelings? Because in a group of 12 people, is there really going to be that person you love? Look, I've been single for 30 years. <laughs> and I've been around a lot of people. And I'm still yet to find that one in yeah. 3,000 people or however many people I've met. So when the producers are talking to you and holding and they're saying, oh, who do you like? Who do you like? Who do you see yourself coupling up with? Surely there must be times where you go, actually, probably none of them. I'm yeah. seeing their personalities and I actually don't like that type of personality or, oh, this one's really good looking. But there's just something I can't see us actually gelling away from the looks. Yeah, and I 100% agree and that's exactly what I was like. But, but then you don't get on the show. So but because I'm in holding and I'm desperate to get in, yeah. I'm, try I'm trying to see the good in everyone. I'm thinking, well, no, she, she actually looks quite nice there and Oh, well, I, I probably agree with her in, in that scenario. And I can see how it's very easy to get swayed and almost see feelings or have feelings that aren't actually there. And I think that's why so many couples don't last outside of the villa because it is so confined and it's a bubble and it's not actually real life. But I think for me, I think the reason why I probably didn't go in sooner was because I was very transparent the fact that there's not really anyone in there that's tickling my fancy so mary who you coupled up with yeah she was part of castle moore mm -hmm. her head turned toby's head and yeah. therefore they were together in castle moore yeah. obviously he comes back he then goes back to chloe yeah and leaves mary as they say on the show vulnerable yeah there's your opening mm -hmm. so suddenly there's a girl who's blonde like chloe oh i could be attracted with her if i can be attracted to her and see something I can go in as a bombshell. That's my ticket into the show. Yeah. So did you say to the producers, yeah, I like Mary. Mary's single. Yeah. Great. Out of the people in holding, you're the perfect fit. Now. Is that how it works? The, yeah, the bombshell I think, idea. I think 
with with that, like me and Mary, before you go in, you have to give, or well, use inverted commas here, your type on paper. And I think that she was definitely the closest thing to that in that series and, and vice versa, probably. So what's funny is, and even my girlfriend knows this, who is blonde, but blondes in, my, in the past have never, ever been my type. I've only really ever dated two blondes being Miriam and my girlfriend now. So I think it's weird that I was meant to be a bombshell. My type on paper, they would want me to go in and ruffle feathers and really try and graft a girl. But my type on paper was never in the villa. So when I was watching it before I went in, I was thinking, well, at some point, someone has got to come in who's my type because otherwise I'm not getting on the show. And it was getting later and later. And I was thinking, there's still not really anyone. I've, I've told them what, like, what I like and what I find attractive and whatever, but it's not no one that has ticked that box. So obviously now I've got a girlfriend and stuff. I've realized that that's very shallow and like too short yeah but but yeah i think out of my series definitely mary was the only one who i say if we were on the outside world and we were in a bar or club or whatever she would be someone that i would find attractive and and stuff so it kind of was the perfect timing for me because i didn't really have any other competition in there that was fighting for for her attention and and vice versa really so it was good timing but yeah it was just a little bit unfortunate that it was was quite late in the in the series. And what about the other way? So Mary was vulnerable because she had no one. You come in, she didn't have that much choice. No offense. Yeah, so I had to couple up with you. Yeah, of course. Otherwise, she's not going to stay in the show. And we've seen it this year with Danica and Josh. Yeah. Um, we've seen Coco try and do it this year as well. Yeah. Looking back now in hindsight, because you only lasted ten days in the villa together. Yeah. It was quite soon after you both left the show that it ended, and obviously yeah. she said since it's because her grandma passed away and she had a lot of things going on at home but she couldn't really focus on a relationship with you but in hindsight now do you kind of see it as this was a ticket for her to stay on that show longer you know when you're on Love Island and your Instagram following is going up and you're an influencer and we're seven eight series in now we know what the monetary worth of going on a show like Love Island is the longer you stayed the bigger the following yeah. the bigger the audience that work is coming in if you mm. leave early you're not getting that work yeah a hundred percent and like, I think because I, I was probably still overwhelmed by the experience and listen, going into Love Island is a massive, massive thing and you don't know what to expect and you're in there and there's so many different things going on that like, you're like, oh my God, this is a different world. You kind of can't really see what's in front of you. And in hindsight, I, I 100% think that. And um, looking back on it, I was probably a little bit naive. Um, I think for me going in, I was definitely... I wouldn't say I was necessarily looking for a relationship, but I was a hundred percent open to it, and I think that's why now, obviously, I am in a in a relationship and I'm and I'm happy and whatever. But yeah, at the time, I think I was definitely a little bit naive. And listen, I can't say whether what she said since coming out and and whatever is true or false, because it, to be honest with you, only only she will ever know. But yeah, I do think it was yeah, it was it was a ticket for her to to stay in and. Listen, I don't have a bad word to say say about Mary. She's she's super cool and and stuff. And like I've seen her since, and we've we've spoke and chatted and and whatever. But but yeah, obviously there's things that happened after where I just think if feelings and and everything in there was as genuine as it was was made out to be, things would have been a little bit different. But again, I'm I'm happy. I'm in a new relationship, and like like I say, I don't really have a bad word to to say about her. So everything happens for a reason and i feel like that's kind of shown me 
I think in a way I came out of the villa and was completely kind of open and transparent and said, look, like going back, back home, like I'm not really interested in, in dating anyone else. I'd rather just kind of date you. I've never been the type to, to really date loads and loads of people at one time, but I was quite open and honest and, and yeah, just saying things were obviously very early days, but like I'm happy to just go back and continue things as they are and just see kind of see what happens. And she obviously didn't feel the same way, which was a little bit of a of a kick in the teeth. But I think that showed me that I was ready to like I was actually I've never really opened up like that for a very long time in the sense of just being honest and just saying how I feel. And I think that was although it didn't work out, I think for me, it was almost like, oh, it didn't work out. I wasn't heartbroken by it. It wasn't really that bad. So I can do this dating thing. Like I'm not, I've never really been a massive dater as such, but, but yeah, it was like, I can do this and, and stuff. And obviously that's shown since, since getting in a relationship. So. I'm going to actually tell you a story now. So. I came out of the Love Island Villa probably maybe three, maybe a month later. No, no, actually, definitely not a month later, probably two weeks later. Um, I was at home and one of my friends texted me saying, do you want to go out tonight in the local area? I was like, yeah, I haven't been out in ages. I'll go. So anyway, now, bearing in mind, I've gone to school in this area. Um, well, sixth form in this area. So I know a load of people and whatever. So night's finished and I'm in a um, in a pizza shop. And I've seen a girl that I used to go to school with. So we're chatting away, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Kind of just catching up, really. And and that was that. So Totally platonic. Yeah. So then the next day, my manager rung me and said, Aaron, what have you been doing? I said, what do you mean? He said, is there anything you got to tell me? I said, no. Like, what? I, I went out yesterday, but, I mean, nothing happened. Like, what's going on? said, I've just got um, an email from The Sun that said you've been pictured at 2.41 in Pizza For You in, in Maidstone with a, with a blonde girl. And I was like, what? And bearing in mind, I'm, I'm drinking and stuff. I can't remember all of the details. I know I'm in the shop with, with, with a blonde girl, but it was nothing like that. And I, I said, well what do you mean? Like, yeah, I was in there, she was in there, we were speaking, yeah, but it wasn't anything like that. And this that was my first real experience with, like, how people can be. And and he was like, well, someone's obviously trying to sell a story on it and, and whatever and stuff. And I just said, look, you need to make that. <laughs> you need to make that disappear. Please, like, don't let that happen because I didn't want, like, it didn't look good. Look, I've just come out of Love Island. Mary's grieving like the, the loss of her nan and, and stuff. And then I'm in a pizza shop flirting with the, with some random girl. Like it doesn't look good. And obviously that's not the image that I want to want to paint for myself coming out. But hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is a girl you know at school. Yeah. What happened to you controlling the narrative? So Bella Thorne, I think it's Bella Thorne, had a nude picture of her leak online and she put it on her Twitter and said, well, look, this is me. You're going to search for it. I'm going to own it. What was wrong with you taking that picture and going, here's the picture. Here's a picture of us at school. Funny story. I was out in a club. I went to a pizza restaurant after. This is a girl that I was at school with. Haven't seen her in years. It was so nice catching up with her. 
if anyone wants to write a headline, go and write your headlines. But this is the truth. You've got your own social media platform. You yeah. can write your narrative. But I think for me, because I was so fresh, like, remember, I haven't been in the industry in inverted commas. <laughs> I'm too like, old. Yeah, <laughs> I have not been in the industry. I'm thinking there's just so many things running through my head. I'm like, oh, my God, what if my mum sees it? I'm thinking, oh, it doesn't really look good. Oh, what if brands see it? And then they don't want to touch me because I'm made out to be like a playboy and insensitive because I don't have feelings for someone else. And that's like... So many things were just going through my brain. And because that was like my first experience, I was like, just please, 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 just please make it go away. And yeah, luckily nothing ever, ever came out about that. And I think now looking back on it, it wouldn't have been that bad if it did. But uh, at the time I was just, because it was so new to me and I wasn't in the industry, I didn't know that that's what it was like. And I think that's what a lot of people forget. Like people that go on Love Island are just normal people. So that when you come out of there and you've got, people taking pictures of you in pizza shops and and walking down the street and you're in a restaurant and people are taking it's weird like it's strange it's not normal so people just assume that they're just accustomed to this celebrity slash influencer life when when they're really not i completely agree with you completely agree with you well look you're talking about secrets um final question for you today aaron tell me a secret about love island so i'll tell you what i know already because i know what you're gonna do so I know that you can get McDonald's. I know that yeah. uh, you go in a swimming pool, but we don't see it because the microphones are taken off. Okay. I know that you have lunch and dinner separately to the girls and you're not allowed to talk about anything about Love Island. You have a day off. You get groomed once in a while. Um, I know that I know that you're told to talk to certain people. Yeah. Tell me a secret about the show that I do not know already. Did you know that there's a lot of challenges that are done that do not get aired? Ooh. Tell me more. So I was in when I was in there. I did two challenges. So uh, we done the sex god one, which I gave an amazing performance for. So if you do want to search that up on YouTube, feel free. Um, <laughs> and then we done another one with with like sweets, and we had to like put sweets in our mouth, put them in the bowl with our couple and stuff like that, um, which was actually really fun and and stuff like that. But it doesn't get shown. And I think this year, a lot of people are saying, where are the challenges? But my conspiracy theory is the challenges get done. But because there's so much happening in the villa and the and the producers need to stick to the storyline, they just can't they can't get aired because there's not enough time. There is a lot of challenges that are done, which are which are not filmed. So how many days? So seven days in a week. Yeah. Obviously, you've got one day, which is designated for coupling because you've got your time to practice your scripts and then you've got the um, yeah. couple of, I love that you you your face lights up that I know things that you think I don't know <laughs> I, don't... <laughs> I, feel, I feel like when I'm speaking about Love Island I always have to be careful because I don't want to give too much away but I feel like I'm speaking to someone who already knows all the deep I know dark everything. secrets I know so. everyone I okay. know everything already. This is this is good so you have a day that's designated for coupling up yeah. and then obviously in the evening is when you actually film and it takes about three or four hours because yeah. it's a long process it's an awfully retakes. awfully long process and one thing I will say is if you see Islanders sweating around the fire pit please just mind your business because when that wind blows and you're sitting there for hours on end it gets very, very hot, especially when you're in somewhere like New York where it's already hot and then you've got fire literally breathing on your face like it's coming out of a dragon. And if it's I presume hot. if Laura Whitmore's there as well, you've got lights as well that are added in. Yep, lights, cameras, everything. Just the just the tension of, of the night is enough, really, but you've got all these added aspects in, like it does get very, 
I should also find really fun of the tension of the night that when they do the coupling up bit, and I'm going to come back to my question. Don't yeah. worry, you're not off the hook there. <laughs> but when they do the coupling up bit, yeah. and they go, oh, I want to couple up Mary. Okay. You walk over. Quick peck on the cheek. Quick peck on the lips. There's no proper kiss. There's no like, oh, I love you. This is so amazing. It's quick kiss. All right, we're done. Sit down. Yeah. I'd, yeah, I don't know. I mean, oh, for my recoupling, I didn't actually have to do the speech. So I actually got away really lightly i never actually had to do a speech when i was in there but i think just because there's so much tension and then it's done you're like okay yeah let's just get it over with sit down boom thank god for that okay. i think that's that's fine more... so my question is you've got okay. a coupling up day you've got a bombshell day in the seven days and you've got a day off obviously in the seven days how many challenges do you do so if let's say we're seeing one challenge every two weeks how many challenges do you actually do in terms of scare of them what doesn't get yeah, shown i'd say well, put it this way. I was in there for 10 days. I think 12 if you include the off days. So, and I'd done two. So that's not two weeks. But I'd done a challenge quite soon. And then, obviously, in my in my series, there was obviously the Faye and Teddy thing, which took up, like, the first probably three or four days, really. Um, so, but I know from what obviously other islanders that were in there longer, I'd say you probably do maybe two challenges a week. Okay. I would say maybe. But they're quite expensive as well to run. You know, the, the, yeah, the, the camera work of it, of yeah. you're running down backwards and forwards, the fact that you then got the little bit of a disgusting feel. I hate those challenges. I love the challenges and I despise them because I, I can't ever see myself doing it. But it's a whole day of filming for that. So that's a yeah. lot of content that gets used and then yeah. just dropped to form. You I know the way TV I works. I don't know if I'd say a whole day. I'd say challenges maybe take... Two, three hours? Okay. Maybe. Not that long then. Yeah, no. But I think it's more like, so I remember the challenge that we done was um, the, the, sweet, the sweet one. I Like we were covered in like pink. I don't know. What, imagine gunk, but then it's boiling hot. So the gunk has now dried. <laughs> and you can imagine that the girls have all got pink in their hair. Like we are literally having to pick like gunk dried gunk off of us like that takes hours after for the boys to shower the girls to shower for everyone to do that and obviously there's only two showers in there really well no there is only two showers in my villa so the girls had the indoor one we had to shower outside we didn't i don't think the whole time i was in there i don't think i showered inside yeah so that's you know like when you see the the sexy kind of scenes when the guys are in the in the outdoor shower and they're tensing up and stuff, looking like mysterious, they're in a the mysterious girl kind of music video. Yeah, that's because there was only two showers and the girls are kind of delegated the upstairs bathroom and the boys were delegated the downstairs bathroom. Oh, we know the girls have the biggest dressing room in the world. Yeah. Where the no, boys have to get changed in the bedroom. Literally, we had, so they had like a a, to, uh, a bathroom with obviously the, the sink with the mirrors and stuff and the, the big indoor shower, the toilet, and we literally just had a tiny, tiny toilet downstairs and then an outdoor shower. Aaron, I could talk to you forever. <laughs> You've been listening to Goody and Secure with me, Johnny Seifert. Thank you so, so much to 4-5, a great health and well-being brand for sorting out this interview. Also to my dear friend, Jake Clear Alpha Talent as well, who uh, looks after Aaron. So brilliant. And so many amazing clients on his books as well. Give him a little shout out. Yeah, Amy yeah, Christopher, obviously from Out of First Sight UK. Jake. 
he's got on his books as well. Um, if you love Love Island, uh, like me, so Kitty and Scoop, Aaron was on season seven. Rachel Finney, Sharon Gaffgar, AJ Bunker, and Amy D have all been on Skidding Skid before. And loads of people from Love Island through this series. Amber Gill, Anna Vakili, Yoranda Bial have been on recently as well. So go and check them out. If you love Love Island, go on Skidding Skid. Go all the way down. So many Love Island stars have been on there. And then if you're listening on Spotify, give it a five-star rating. And if you're on iTunes, it's a five-star rating and a review. It's so important you say it's okay to not be okay. As we've heard of Aaron's story today, all about the sense of belonging, the confidence, it's insecurities that are instilled into you at an early age. That's okay. It's okay to be insecure. So please do give a review and then share it on social media. On Twitter, it's at Johnny Seafoot. And on Instagram, at Johnny Seafoot, at Secure the Insecure Podcast. Please do go and share it with your friends. It's really important you help spread the word. So people do know it's okay to not be okay. I've been Johnny Seafoot. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.